Every time he sees me, his eyes light up. I can almost hear his heart beat faster. He looks at me the same way he did when we first met. For him, it's love at first sight every day. For me, it's heartbreaking. Loving someone who's living with dementia is not easy. For support, advice, or to make a donation, visit DementiaSA.org. Broadcasting worldwide, online, 24-7. It's Vuga Online, your inspiration radio station. I hope that you're doing really well and that you are um, achieving your goals and you haven't given up and just thinking, oh, well, it's nearly the end of the year, so we'll just cancel it all and start again next year. Make sure that you finish on a high, that you are making sure that you track to all your goals and don't just write off the rest of these days. There's plenty you could be doing. As you know, I'm a coach. I'm also a mentor. I work specifically with professionals and those in healthcare, especially. And then the show, you know, is all about healthcare professionals. It's for people to understand that healthcare professionals are people, first and foremost. And yes, they are there to make sure that they're going to look after you, but they often forget to look after themselves. The show is also about us as patients who understand that it's not just being pawn in the game, not just being a little puppet who gets to do whatever. You have got rights. You need to take ownership of your own health and make sure that you are making informed decisions. And from an informed point of view, the show is also about us knowing what information is out there. How have things changed? What are the updates? Do we know about things? Do we just go, oh, that's no, 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 that's too difficult for me. I'll just let somebody else make decisions about my life which no, we don't do that yet. And of course, we talk about things that we don't, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, but Colleen, we don't talk about those things. Yes, we talk about them here because it makes us informed. It makes us have more power. So it empowers us. My guest today is Dr. Dina Vandenberg. And after the break, we're going to meet her. We're going to find out what she's come to talk to us about. And yes, she's a lovely, bubbly lady. So let's go for that break. Thank you. Listen to this. Up against the wall. <laughs> Took you long enough. Spit it. Whoa, that's a little rough. Oh. <sighs> and now the same thing in pink. Up against the wall. <laughs> Took you long enough. <laughs> Spit him. Oh, that's a little rough. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. If a color can make something sound kinky, imagine how it can make it look. Metal paints, the right color matters. Visit metalpaints.coza. You're listening to Vuga Online Radio. Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour Colin Quist. My guest today, Dr. Dina Vandenberg. Right, a bubbly, lovely lady, as I said. has got lots of information to come share with us. So welcome, Dina. Thank you for joining us. Oh, wow. Thank you. I love your intro and all the stuff you want to talk about and the way you're pitching it, Colleen. It's like really so needed. I'm really thrilled to be here with you. Um, yeah, so I'm going to talk about antimicrobial resistance, and I'll tell you more about what that is. 
Um, but before I do that, I think I'll just tell you a little bit about myself so that you know. Yes, let's hear more about you because remember, yeah. healthcare professionals are people. We are definitely people. So, yes. yeah, you know, I come from a family that um, are first generation immigrants to South Africa. And so, you know, I grew up in, you know, in this, in the southern suburbs of Johannesburg. My parents worked very late and hard. And um, I, everything that I did was all about my, you know, becoming, getting an education and lifting our family out of where we were so that we could live a better life. And, you know, that was the principle that we live by hard work, study, learn, and and then contribute, serve. Those were the principles that I grew up with. And I'm really proud to be a South African, and I'm even more proud to be a health professional. I found my way into the health profession world because my dad, you know, was very friendly with a pharmacist next door uh, to his business, and he thought that would be a good idea. And I didn't really know what I was doing, wanted to do, so I, I enrolled and and I started my career um, studying pharmacy but it didn't take me very long before I sort of jumped into I realized that that wasn't what I was going to do for the rest of my life um, and so I started studying further and I got really interested in research I got really interested in clinical pharmacy I was very I loved working in hospitals and I loved interacting with other health professionals and the nursing profession as well as interacting with patients and families. And I've done, you know, lots of studies after that. I went overseas and did some more work there. And um, I continue to grow and thrive in my career, constantly questioning, you know, the, where does it fit in the bigger scheme of my life? And, uh, <clears throat> I, I mean, initially all I was focused on was this thing called studying and learning and working. Um but at 29, I actually did a personal growth course and I realized that I didn't have a life. And I was busy with my PhD at the time on pharmacoeconomics. And I, it was such an epiphany for me that I had to do something different and that if I kept on that trajectory, I would be a very qualified, very clever person, but I would have no life. And so I gave up my PhD, which was a really hard thing to do. And um, my professor was so mad at me. But a year later, I met my husband. I had two children. And, you know, he still said, like, you will never get your PhD if you give it up now. And I, I just felt, no, I'm not going to hear that. I'm going to keep going. And, you know, 10 years later, I, um, well, Five years later, I sat next to somebody at a dinner and uh, he asked me what I do. And I told him what I was doing. I was working for Afrox Healthcare then. And I told him what I was doing. And he said, you should do your PhD. And he brought a program to South Africa. He was from the University of Warwick in the UK. And it was in engineering. And like, who would have thought that I would have gone yes. from there to that? So, you know, long story short. I then got into that. I then um, started really figuring out what I wanted to do and what I loved. And I do love research, but I also love changing hospital systems and improving them. And those are the two streams of work I do. Um, and I still um, operate as a change leader, as a person who helps other people learn how to make changes. 
I've been on my own now. I stayed in corporate um, for 35 years, was on the executive of two of the big hospital groups. And, you know, I had so much fun doing that. And I, I feel like I learned so much and I contribute so much. Um, and then I got interested in this research side, which leads me into this topic we're going to speak about, um, which is this question of, of antimicrobial resistance. And I'd never really, I mean, we'd learned about it at university, but we hadn't really taken it so seriously. Um, and I, you know, this was me. I'm always sitting in, I went to a seminar that someone was talking about it at, at Wits, actually. And I, I kind of thought, okay, well, this is all very interesting, but what are we going to do? Like, what do we need to do? And that's been one of my primary sort of drivers. It's like I, it's nice, it's good to know about issues, but it's also important for us to be in action. And that's what I'm really passionate about. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll stop there. Okay, it's a fascinating introduction of yourself. Um, it's always, it's, it's always beautiful what people choose to tell us. Yes. And so, yes, your upbringing, how important community was, that you need to uplift the family, move everyone. And then, like, in that story of, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. We started off in pharmacy. Like, you were in the PhD, not really enjoying it, thinking, no, put this on hold. And so I think the, like, proof that no matter how old you are, you can yep. always stop. No matter how far down you've gone down a road, you can always do U-turn and go somewhere else. And that, yes got a PhD, but in something totally different a few years later. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, and yes, you are, I know that you speak a lot about hospital systems and changing them and improving them. I do, yeah. So before we dive into antimicrobials, let's just hear more about hospital systems. Well, you know, they say that every system... All, all improvement needs a change, but not all change is an improvement. And, you know, we, we know that, 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 first of all, our hospital systems don't serve everybody well. And I wanted to do more work around how, first of all, we make healthcare more affordable, then how we make the quality of healthcare improve. And I started looking into what has it actually taken. Through my work um, at Warwick, I started understanding this thing called systems thinking. And, you know, so the system gives you the results it was designed to get. And if you, if you can understand that and look at a system, you can start to see where the pivot points are to create yeah. improvement. And I went off to um, a conference. I was presenting at a conference in Prague, and someone presented on the these four infection bundles. And I came back. I, I was so taken aback by how much they actually did improve the risk of infection and the rate of infection in hospitals. And I came back to my um, organization. At the time, the, the infection control department was reporting to me. And I just said, we've got to do this work. We have to stop doing what we were doing and we have to start doing this work. And we worked together and, you know, we created the, we almost replicated their results in terms of reducing the number of infections. And those infections are, are really devastating for families mm. and for people that, that end up getting them. So a patient on a ventilator is, you know, is there to, to have their life saved because they're able to breathe properly. 
and yet there is a risk of them getting a ventilator-associated pneumonia and actually die from being on the ventilator. And there were four simple things you could do to reduce the risk of that by up to 75%. And, you know, when I saw those numbers, I was like, are we doing this in South Africa? And that's what made me just dive into that work. And then I just carried on learning all about these things, like what else can we do and what else can we do and how else can we improve this? Yeah. And now I've switched my attention to teaching other people how to create change in healthcare because, you know, there's only so much one of us can do. We can only throw so many starfish back. That's but we it. can teach other people to throw starfish back. 100%. So, yeah, yeah, yes. beautiful. And just in that, I imagined as well that you you recreated the change in the hospital that you were in and then saying, okay, but what about all the other hospitals? Yes. Yeah, so well, you know, like... in a way, I was by the time I found this work, I was already at senior management level, and so I had an even more, um, a much bigger opportunity because I was the group head of you know forty hospitals at that time, mm. and I didn't. So I learned to work at scale. You know, I re- in fact that same project was taken to scale in America, and I decided I'm not going to start at one hospital. I didn't do a pilot. Yes. Okay. I implemented a project across 40 hospitals and learned 40 times more every time we made a mistake, every time we hit a barrier, every time we had a success. Um, that's That was my, yes. my privilege, actually, to be able to do that. Um, but I have since helped so many people do that type of thing, do it in one hospital, and in fact, because I was in the private sector, one of my big, big projects in um, antimicrobial resistance and stewardship, one of the professors um, here at UCT challenged me and said, so you did this in the private sector. Can you do it in the public sector? And so, um, you know, I I mean, again, I had no access to the private, the public sector, but I just put out a call to action. And I used this call to action and, you know, 39 pharmacists joined that study, which just also showed me, you know, yes. that we have so but many if amazing you ask, people. Yes, yes, we've got so many amazing people in the health system that just want to make a difference. Yeah. It's like, it's, it was really an amazing um, study. And I've, repl- I've just done one now in neonatal stewardship. So also public and private sector, and we're busy writing that up, which is, you know, again, such amazing people. Mm. It's been so fantastic to see. Okay. All right. So lots for us to talk about with antimicrobial and and resistance and all sorts of things like that. You're going to unpack it all for us, but we're going to go for a break. And then after the break, we're going to start understanding exactly what's going on here in this in this. Okay, so um, let's pop out to our sponsors and hear from them, and we'll be back soon. If you suspect your dog of having a foul mouth, try Super Breath Dog Bones from Fido. Available at all reputable pet stores and supermarkets nationwide. You are listening to Vuga Online Radio. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. My guest today is Dr. Dina Vandenberg. She has been sharing about us about her career and what she is and who um, who she impacts and the difference she's making in hospital systems. But also, we're going to be talking about antimicrobial resistance specifically. Um, we've also spoken about as antibiotic resistance. And, and in the first session, you also spoke about stewardship. Yeah. So now I'm sure everyone's sitting out there going like, huh? What's she going to talk to us about? So let's start in the beginning. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm going to start with the first thing that everybody always confuses when, especially if you don't know much about antibiotics, you know, we know that antibiotics kill off bugs in our bodies. Um, and when they become resistant, people often think that their bodies have become resistant to antibiotics. Or, And I'll tell you more about antimicrobials in a moment. But they think their bodies become resistant. But actually, it's that little bug that is now no longer being uh, being impacted by the, in, the chemical that used to be very effective on uh, eliminating an unwanted uh, and microorganism in your body. So for me, that's the important thing. And, you know, um, it's, and that's what the, the huge problem is. Now, the truth is antibiotics. Let me tell you the difference why we are now talking about antimicrobials and not just antibiotics, because it used to just be called antibiotics. And we used to talk about things called superbugs yes. as well. Because superbugs. And hospital-acquired infections. Okay. Now, superbugs are these microorganisms that are no longer responding to different levels of antibiotics. And I'll talk about those levels in a moment. But what is important is that um, those – we used to only talk about antibiotics because it was really only later on that we even discovered antivirals. So – antivirals have come into the mixture. And and we know that some of the viruses are now resistant to antivirals. And we also only, you know, there have been medicines for fungal infections that have also become resistant. And so we now have antifungal resistance, antiviral resistance, and antibiotic resistance. And that is why we are talking about antimicrobial because it's like all the microbes that we speak of in this process. Um, you know, it's, there's still the work in antifungal stewardship and antibiotics is very um, is is not as well developed, but it's graining momentum now because it's also becoming a bigger problem. And so, you know, there's so much we need to do and. Really, there's, there's a lot we don't know. But another reason why this has become so urgent is because in the, in the early days, whenever an antibiotic became resistant, a new one came onto the market. And so the, the level of research and development that was going on was just bringing an antibiotic onto the market. And so you would now be resistant to penicillin, but, you know, we had uh, new drugs like ketlosporins, or we had, so these are the levels. So it's sort of, generation one, generation two, and third generation antibiotics. And then we started seeing that some of these microorganisms have become resistant to all of these levels. And you're then facing the possibility that 
you have an infection that there's nothing to treat you with. And so I don't know if you've seen this, Colleen, but I know many of us in the health system have seen it, where you get your 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 sensitivity report back from the laboratory and it just says R, 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 which means resistant. And normally that list will tell you what this bug in your system is sensitive to. And it'll say it is sensitive to cephalosporins, but it's not, it's resistant to penicillin. But when you see one of those reports that's got R, 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 R all the way down, it means like we, we have nothing to do and we, you know, we can still give you some antibiotics, hoping that there's some small impact, but the risk is you will go into septic shock and you will die. And so that's what is so alarming. And when I started seeing more of those RRR um, reports, um, I wanted to know what we can do. <laughs> you know, that's it. What do we need to do about this? Yes, you're very much a so what are we going to do person? Yeah, yes. I am. Yes. I am or what we're going to do. So um, so there's, there's so much we can do. And the first part of it, I'll just talk about as professionals, uh, since a lot of your audience are also professionals. Yes. And, you know, as professionals, it, I found the best approach was to be very focused. And the first bit of work we did um, collaboratively was to take what we called the low-hanging fruit. What are the – there were six things we could do to reduce the use of antibiotics, which in turn reduces the impact on resistance. So the more you use antibiotics, the more exposure these microorganisms have to these different ingredients, the more they build up resistance. And so um, there's a relationship between how much and how we use antibiotics and their development of resistance. And so, you know, we used to use antibiotics just in case. Yes. Well, I mean, I think even as a patient, you know, when you go to a doctor and you go like, what do you mean you're not going to give me an antibiotic? I've got to get an an antibiotic because I need to get better. Exactly, Colleen. And we usually go when we have actually got a viral infection because, you know, most people don't know that flu is a viral infection. Most flu is a viral infection. And so, and it's also, it lasts about 10 days. So normally we'll go, oh gosh, I've got the flu. And then after two days, you're still not feeling well. So you head off to your doctor and he gives you some stuff. And then you go, okay, well, you know, and then three or four days after that, you're still not feeling well. You go, no, I need antibiotics now. Mm -hmm. But actually it's been a viral infection all the way. And taking antibiotics has no impact on the virus and it does have an impact on your microbiome so it affects your gut health which we didn't understand before we all you know we, we always treated antibiotics as if they didn't have side effects but they do have side effects yes. they, they 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 definitely impact your microbiome they can cause allergies they can cause um nausea they can you know there's so many other effects so just thinking that you want to take an antibiotic in case you know we wouldn't do that with with other medicines but we we seem to do it more with um antibiotics i mean the only other one we also do that with is of course pain medicines and that's led to the opioid epidemic which is another whole story which you know we won't go into today but you see like when we start to treat things as if they can you can just eat them like sweets or like just in case 
then we I think there it's also there are consequences where one thing doesn't impact the other. That everything's just standalone. But we know in the universe nothing is standalone. Exactly. Everything and impacts the, everything else. Yeah. And in fact, the other thing that was so you know, like alarming for me is that when when you know we always used to say oh but I'm doing the best for my patient like this one patient and you know therefore I'm going to just pile on the antibiotics because they need it or they in case they need it but in fact when when professionals were doing that it had collateral damage because it was creating resistance in those microorganisms and it wasn't about one patient it was also the collateral damage that happened when now you know, I arrive in hospital and that antibiotic doesn't work because you used it on the 14 other people that was just N of one, apparently. So, yeah, I think that was also, was kind of known, but not really accepted because there was always a new antibiotic coming onto the market. Mm. Now, by the way, because we know it takes about 20 years for a new molecule to reach the market. So we always know what's in the pipeline and, I mean, there's there's so little new molecules in the pipeline to help fight infection that, again, some of these consequences become quite scary. I read this report, and, you know, and I, I don't like alarming statistics, but, you know, but it said, um, it, well, it said things like 4 million people in Africa will die of a drug-resistant infection. And it also said by 2050, I think it was, um, the level of drug resistance would reach a point where many, many conditions would be untreatable. So I sat down and I worked out how old I am and what how old I'm going to be in 2050. And you know, that is kind of at the age that I'm going to need a hip replacement. Yes, and you can't avoid you hospitals can't, then. You, yeah. And you can't have a hip replacement without prophylaxis, you know, without a preventative infection molecule. And so yeah. it, it actually means that, that elective surgery like that, you know, you hurt your knee and you go in and fix your knee, but you, you actually don't have the, the drugs to help you get through that operation risk-free. And yeah, so it becomes almost the death sentence why. then, yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. But people will say, no, I'm not, you know, like you say, I'm not going to hospital. You say, I'm not going to have an operation because I'm, I might die of the infection. Mm. Which kind of goes hand in hand with that whole hand hygiene that we all drove us, you know, mm. went through in COVID, okay? Yes. But it's so important. That I've that seen people forget. Yes, yes, they are. Yes, yes. Mm. Seeing it all the time. Okay, so really fascinating and helping us look. Um, Help us understand where you've mentioned stewardship Yes. before we go on the break. So let's have a quick look at what is stewardship. So stewardship means you're looking after something. Okay, that's what it really means. It says, you know, we're going to look after our resources so that we handle them responsibly and we use them appropriately. And Honestly, the, the, because everything was such a free for all, there wasn't any stewardship over something that does have a limited, um, longevity. Because actually, even when Alexander Fleming invented penicillin, one of his first uh, statements was that this, this molecule will not be effective against these infections in a period of time and that we must use them wisely. That was his, one of his first speeches. Okay. 
<laughs> of course, we all went mad. Yes. You know. Um, yeah. So that's what stewardship means, and that's why every you know we've put a lot of effort in globally now, because it is a global problem to bring the word stewardship to how we use antibiotics. And there are many practices and many things that we've had to put in place to make sure that we actually use them appropriately. Okay. All right. So thank you for explaining so nicely to us. Let's go for our break. And then when we come back, we're going to look to see what can we do. You know, as you've said, it's all very well us knowing about it and we're seeing the train coming down. What are we going to do about it? So let's go for that break. How do you know the life or personal coach you are about to work with is who they say they are? How do you know if they can do the job? At the Africa Board for Coaching, Consulting and Coaching Psychology, we can tell you. So, before you share your secrets and spend your money, check with us first. Visit www.abccp.com or call us on 012-751-7608. The ABCCP, the professional... Your Inspiration Radio. Online. Welcome back. You're listening to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. My guest today is Dr. Dina Vandenberg, who has come to speak to us about microbial resistance. And she explained to us that microbes are all the different bugs that live in us. And before, you got good bugs and you got bad bugs. And we had, we had the medicine to make the bad bugs die and the good bugs carry on living. But now, these bugs have got so good that they have not responding to the medicine anymore that was killing them. And so now they're sitting there going, ha, 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 you can't kill me, you can't kill me. And before it was okay because we just came up with the next one. We just came up with the next drug. But as she said, because drugs take 20 years to make the new one to come along, we know that there's not new ones in the pipeline. And so we're in a bit of a pickle because – What are we going, you know, if we suddenly get an infection with a resistant bug, how are we going to treat it? How are we going to make it actually die? So what can we do, Dina? Yeah. So should I start off with the public and then I'll come back to what we can do as professionals? So I think for a start as the public, you know, if you're listening to this program, then you started off by becoming aware of the impact of antimicrobial resistance. You, you now know it's not just, you know, something that people are talking about. It's very real. It'll impact you. It'll impact your children um, as they go into their lives in the future. So, you know, th- that process of being responsible about the use of, of antibiotics, of if you're on an antiviral, all of those things, using them responsibly, what does that mean? It means you do not demand antibiotics when you have flu. You know, you can go to your doctor and have the symptoms, tell him your symptoms, and they will more and more make a much more measured response. In fact, there have been studies about patients putting so much pressure on doctors that they kind of just give them the script. I mean, I found when I, when my children were small, I didn't, I, if my doctor gave me a script, an antibiotic, I would keep it and, and, and monitor the children. And then if they needed it, I would go and fill the script. But I mean, that's, that's your pharmacy method. background coming in. Yeah, yeah. But actually yeah. nowadays some of the GPs or the pediatricians are actually saying to moms that are demanding, like saying, okay, I'm going to give you the script. If it gets any worse, then you can go fill it, you know. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if you don't want to go back to him or her, 
So those are so being careful about when you take antibiotics and actually asking questions because there may be doctors that are still just writing a script and you can say, but why do I need an antibiotic? And let them explain and then you can go forward. So that, that for me, the second one is take them as instructed, you know, and, and like take them for as long as you're told to do that because you don't need to take them for longer. Okay. You know, the length of use of antibiotics is also important. The longer you're taking them for, the more impact it's having on your microbiome. So doctors are very careful to prescribe it for the right amount of time. Um, there are some times where you need long duration of antibiotics, but but that's will be specified but mostly we we really need quite a short course of antibiotics and you need to take them as prescribed and not hand them out to your friends when they have similar symptoms you know (laughs) well i've got some antibiotics one of them for you (laughs) hang on let me just look in my handbag yeah Yeah. yeah. and then so you know on that your antibiotic always says use to the end or finish the course don't go oh i'm better now Yes, we've also got a lot better at making the course how long relevant because sometimes those were prescribed for too long as well. And then finishing the course was not such a good thing. But now um, I think we more and more that's probably being eliminated. The other thing you can do, you know, we've already spoken about hand hygiene. I mean, the best prevention of antibiotic use is to prevent yourself from getting an infection in the first place. Like, you know, that is the so important. So keeping your immune system going, looking after your health and washing your hands regularly and actually asking for that hand hygiene stuff that, you know, like it's gone from many of the public spaces. We actually should be putting more pressure on that to sort of hang around. So so for me, those are kind of the key things. Um, And as a parent as well, making sure that, you, you know, those are the most common use of antibiotics in children is when the parent hangs, you know, once all these antibiotics for an upper respiratory tract infection that is a viral infection often. Um, Just being, you know, allowing, taking the doctor's advice when you don't actually need an antibiotic, that that would be important. Then as a professional, you know, I guess um, more and more um, having, first of all, I honestly believe in working together in a multidisciplinary team, using the the strength of having all the people around us uh, taking care of a patient, participating in being these stewards, holding responsible use of an antibiotic. So from the frontline nurse, who is the person who has the most contact with patients in hospitals, you know, they can do so much to make sure that antibiotics are given on time, that they, you know, because if we, if there are any gaps in your antibiotic doses, it'll look like you're not recovering and then we'll give you a stronger antibiotic. But actually, For more days. Remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing this and one of the, my, my colleagues was, she hadn't, she didn't know how to work out the dilution and she created a dilution that was almost null. It was like homeopathic dose. And so this, it was actually a young child was getting an antibiotic at such a diluted level that they weren't responding. And that created, you know, and we only found that out later when we look back at the whole process. So, you know, getting your dilutions right, making sure that that's done properly is all helps to have a speedy recovery and it stops you from overusing it and using it for too long in terms of that process. 
And then for me, I'm still inviting and calling people into action. Like we knew there was a gap in um, neonates. Antibiotics have a very, um, have a high impact on neonates. They also save a lot of neonates' lives. So there's a very fine balance around what you can do to preserve antibiotics and what you need to do to save the baby. So we've, you know, that's why we did the study recently to look at what what are the opportunities to for neonatal stewardship, and where are the the right things to do. And we've had some amazing um, results and some amazing collaboration with was a multidisciplinary team study. So I just want to say to all the health professionals out there, get involved in this work. You know, it's uh, everybody that can participate should do that and should look at what else they can be doing because. Every system has its own, you know, little parts that, that can be improved. And and each of those micro systems make a difference. And, you know, never, ever think that what you're doing is not big a big deal or it's not enough. And it's like, a, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the power. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Really, we all have that, that possibility of making a difference, of putting that starfish into the sea, of helping that family, that patient. Um, and I think that's so important for us to yeah. do. And so it's also saying that if you can only do a millimeter, rather do the millimeter than saying, oh, no, but this won't make a difference. Because if we all do a millimeter, think how much 100%. we can do. 100%. Yes. Fully. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yes, yeah, so, Dina, this is all positioned as well, um, absolutely in World AMR Awareness Week, so Antimicrobial Resistance Week which is the 18th to the 24th of November. Yep, that's next week and all starting this week, yeah. And, um, yeah, I think it's important because what that has done now is it's just, it's really, I, I wrote a, a post on LinkedIn the other day, or well, last year actually around this time that said, I wish we would call World Antibiotic Awareness Week World Antibiotic Action Week. Yes. Okay, because awareness is not enough. But, you know, you need awareness in order to go into action. So, like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but I want to encourage that we maybe add another A into that acronym, you know, the war. Yeah. We can add another A into there and say awareness and action week. Yeah. Because, there's, and because unfortunately, you know, these kind of awareness campaigns, I know you, you said something about you're not that thrilled about these sorts of things because it's fine. It's good to have. Um, posters on the walls and balloons in the room and whatever it is. Yeah. But it, it like you know, for me, there's there's something more about let's make these systems better. I feel the same about when we wear pink on breast cancer. I want you to not just wear pink. I want you to fix the system that people have to work in and have to yeah. and have to have their healing, you know, journey in. Yes. And, Wearing pink once a, a year in October is important, but it still doesn't change the system. No. So do both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and and it's very much as well. And that's where I feel very strongly, obviously, as a coach, of saying, okay, it doesn't help to just know about it. What action did you take? How, okay. What did you change? What? How can we inspire you to change things? Yeah. And so, yes, no amount of wearing any color on any day changes anything. Yes. It's it really is Unless about it goes with an action. Yes. Unless it goes and, with an action. 
And it's almost like though, when we have, okay, let's wear a ribbon, let's wear this, it's almost like, okay, we've done it, pack it away for for a year now. Um, Heaven help us if it happens the day after, we've packed away whichever color ribbon it is. Um, And yes, so it is an all year round awareness, but an all year round action of saying that you, the mommy sitting there, not demanding the antibiotic for your, your, your baby who's got a virus, um, for you to actually use the antibiotic that you do get responsibly and to make sure that we wash our hands. You are playing a massive role. Yeah. And, you know, you just reminded me of one more thing. If you don't take your antibiotics as instructed, you know, I said that, but I was remembering another thing. Like I said to you that that baby that was getting a very diluted yes. um, level, if you take one tablet in the morning, then you skip the lunchtime dose and you only take yeah. one in the evening or then you take or you then what happens is every time the the level of that drug drops in your bloodstream, these little bugs come up and they're all surviving. And in fact, what it does is the stronger ones that are becoming resistant start yeah. to survive more and more. So when you get asked to take something three times a day, you know, do your best to do this three times a day. And then you know that, I don't know if you must know him, the Atomic Habits guy. Yes. He does the environment beats wolf willpower environment yeah. so put them out you know put them at your kettle put them where you're going to be at that particular yes. time otherwise to remind you yeah well you know it's hard to to do that yes but it's exactly the same with the contraceptive of if you're going to skip one g did i take it i don't know don't be surprised when you're pregnant <laughs> yeah but then just in resistance where i think you can see like even our insects, the flies, for instance, before one little puff or whatever, which came out of your bottle, would jump, that would be it. Now they fly around going, ha, 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 can't catch me, can't kill me. <laughs> and, you know, you could actually empty an entire can on some of them and they still don't die. No, exactly that. Mm. Good analogy for mm. Yeah, very good. Okay, so, yes, so your overall message to people is saying, you know what, you can make a difference. You on your own can make a massive difference, but also start things with your friends. Be the influence of saying, no, but why do, Why are we getting an antibiotic? We don't need one. Um, working through from a viral point of view of saying it's a virus, it will pass, we will get over. But huge advice from you there, Dina, is to say, don't get the bug in the first place. Wash absolutely, your hands. Absolutely. And in fact, it's so interesting. One of my doctor friends, one of the things she did is she, when her kids were at school, she would go and have little mom's groups to tell them about these kinds of things, you know. And, yeah. I, and I thought that was so amazing. She said, you know, I just, like, I'm I'm doing all this stuff in my hospital and the work that I do. But, like, here in my own community at the mm-hmm. school, what, what am I doing to help yeah. moms? with how you know what's happening with their kids and not be pumping them full of antibiotics um every day so yeah i was was quite impressed with that because one day we will reach for the cupboard or the script and there won't be an antibiotic or an anti whatever to kill whatever bug it is that is living in you um and if you think of it as a computer game we don't want the game to win exactly yeah. Well, I mean, you're also reminding me now that, that there's another development in the whole world of antimicrobial resistance, and that is the one a thing called One Health, which, you know, we discovered that alongside the use of antibiotics in humans, we were obviously 
using antibiotics in in all our animals and so and crops, in our meat and our crops and our yeah. and so there's a whole process of really you know a lot of work's happening to create ways in which to impact that whole system I mean they were using a, a drug called colistin which is the last resort drug that everyone uses when you get that RRR thing mm. it's like and it's very toxic as well they were using it left right and center in animal um, for animals and cows and yes. pigs and pig farms and so you know, people were finding it in barrels it was available like that so yes that's all now also being yeah. addressed globally and um yeah it's there's a lot of work to do and you know it just shows you that we weren't being stewards we weren't using it responsibly yeah. and we will need to but also there's power in multidisciplinary approach of saying don't just look at it from one angle or the other angle Absolutely. we can when we look at it multi-pronged um, and learn from each other and go, oh, my hat, there it is in the animal side or there it is in the carrots yes. or here it is in little kids. Yeah, we can then see, yeah. yeah. Hmm. And that's been a really important part of how, you know, almost like this this movement has become multidisciplinary mm-hmm. and has created new connections and new ways of working together as as health professionals, which is another thing I'm really passionate about, you know. Yeah. So, Okay, so thank you so much for joining us, Dina. You've brought us very interesting information, very um, on-time information, certainly for all our Northern Hemisphere listeners who are going into that winter story and are going to be pumping out the antibiotics now. We we request that you stop, you pause, you think, and you decide on a better way. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing, Colleen. It's absolutely wonderful. And for having this opportunity, it's absolutely yes. incredible. You are making a difference. Absolutely. Throwing one healthcare professional back at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stunning. Okay, Fantastic. so thank you. All right, so you've been joined, tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. Please remember that you're loved, you matter, and you're not alone. We'll see you next time. The roads have emptied. Only us left. Kids sleeping in back. Cat's eyes shine bright. White lines roll by. The rhythm of the streetlights. Radio hums quietly. Rain starts. Hypnotic wipers. Pulling. Hot latte and apple pie. Ease back into the darkness. Over 600 McDonald's open 24 hours. We are awake. Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Wooga Online.